voice comes in, you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, or... Maybe you're just out for an evening stroll as the weather's getting nicer. Maybe you're walking the dog. Maybe you're just enjoying a nice little evening out. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support means we get to keep making these shows. And boy, are we grateful. In exchange, our patrons get some cool perks, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a whole bunch of bonus content. You get your feeling this, two seasons of feeling this with Alex Solman and Christian Spicer. You get your DLC book club with Lana Bashinsky and myself, and you get Wednesday bonus show paid DLC with Lana Bashinsky joining Christian Spicer and me talking about all sorts of stuff that you want to talk about as patrons. That's not even mentioning the spoiler chats and extra bonus stuff. There's so much to dig into when you become a patron at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games. In their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also, games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, spell with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's going inner ear, not over the ear, anymore. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. For our video viewers, yes, I am... Changed my my return monitor setup. I'm using some inner ear headphones. Also, it's all different. Uh, season three, feeling this. Uh, it's in the works. I actually owe oh. Alex uh, an email, so apologies, <laughs> people. It is late. It's coming together slowly because of me. It is my fault. But we are putting the pieces together for a season three, and I'm excited. I I, I know some of the stuff we're going to talk about. Fingers crossed, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and that's for patrons at any level. So get mm-hmm. uh, get get excited. Oh, speaking of excited, I'm excited because we have lots to talk about this week. Some really interesting stuff to dig into. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm excited because DLC stands for declaring a labor contract. Because from IGN, which has recently announced its plan to unionize, we have executive news editor Tom Marks back with us. Hey, Tom, how are you? I am good. You know, this is the third time I think I've been on this show. And every time I'm like, I forget how much energy you have out of the gate (laughs) in that intro. It it knocks me over, Christian. I don't know how you do it weekly. It's, 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 It's a lot. It's great. I love it. It pumps me up. Thank you. Well, he could no longer do over the ear, so he had to go inner ear. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, how uh, I do it? How I do it is just by sucking the life slowly out of Jeff. If you notice, his energy <laughs> level true. has remained the same, and the only way I match it is just sucking the color out of his beard slowly but surely. 
<laughs> the life is seeping out of me through my facial hair. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Tom, I want to talk a little bit about, before we get into the show, I want to talk a little bit about this because uh, yeah. we have talked here on DLC for years about unions. We are very pro-union here on this show. And uh, the- I'm glad I'm not getting ambushed right now. I, I wasn't <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it, it is. Uh, I think it's really great what has happened. Um, Ziff Davis uh, has voluntarily recognized uh, the union, which is, I think, a wonderful step. Tell us about why you want to unionize, what the process has been like, and what the goals are. Yeah. So we announced, I think it was like three weeks ago now. Um, and Ziff Davis voluntarily recognized us like a week, a little over a week ago at this point. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was in the scheme of things very fast. And we're extremely grateful that that happened and that they came to the table and are, you know, ready to bargain in good faith in that way. But yeah, you know, we all really, well, a lot of us really love our jobs at IGN, right? I love my job at IGN. I really do. Um, and one of the things that we heard is we were organizing as we were getting ready to organize is like the best time to unionize is not when things are terrible and you're hating everything, right? The best time to unionize is when you like where you are and you have good things in play and going on for you and your company. And, you know, you want to protect those things and you want to say, Hey, you know, there's some things that could be better, but also there are some things that we really like about what we're doing that we just want to make sure are kind of codified more and that we have a seat at the table to discuss those things. Um, especially, you know, nowadays, like we're going to talk about this on the show already because it's, it's a nonstop topic for 2024 in the games industry, but like, it's crazy out there right now. Game developers are going through layoffs left and right. Newsrooms are going through layoffs left and right. And so getting protections for that is part of, or for some of that is, is also part of why we're, we're doing this. But yeah, there's like a bunch of reasons we've been working on it for a while and we're, we're so excited to finally be public and we're so excited to uh, have had Ziff Davis come to the table, you know, kind of enthusiastically to start. We're, we're very grateful for that. Is there, was there any part of this that was scary for you oh, and the yeah. folks at IG? Yeah. Well, talk <laughs> about mean, that because I think, you know, some of the, I, I think maybe people might not even be aware of how risky a, a venture this is and, and, you know, what makes it worth it to be that, to take that risk. Sure. You know, from the very beginning, just not to like be, doom and gloom, we were very optimistic that they would come and that they would voluntarily recognize us because the uh, Ziff Davis Creators Guild, which is some of our sister sites like Mashable, were created. they created that about, I think it was like four or five years ago, um, and Ziff Davis did voluntarily recognize them as well. Uh, and so we, ha- we had reason to be optimistic, uh, but I think if you're not from, especially if you're not from the United States, you might not realize kind of how taboo talking about unions is and how much it like how much retaliation there has been in the history of this country against people who are unionizing. Um, There are a lot of protections in place federally and laws saying you can't retaliate, but you know, companies do things and there are, there's always that sort of fear going on in the back of your head. Um, And so we were just like, yeah, there's definitely, it, it was not an necessarily an easy process. It was not a, fast process. It was not a like fully comforting process, but it was one that we really, we know what the IGN content team looks like when we're working all together and we're coming together to, you know, for a cause or for making something around a game or whatever it is. And it was always sort of that guiding light of like, we really love the people we work with and we really just want all of us to have a voice together uh, when we're discussing our working conditions. And 
And so that was that was definitely a beacon as we saw ourselves through any of the scary stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having gone through it now, um, do you have you changed an opinion? Have you have you gotten any insight into having this process happen on the developer side? Have, you know, there's a lot of people talking about unions being a necessity for game developers and the game industry as a whole. Do you see that as as more or less of a possibility having gone through it? I mean, I hope, I hope that this, that uh, not to get a big head about it. I do hope that a site as large as IGN unionizing inspires some folk. I, yeah. I, I would be lying if I said I didn't hope that. Um, but at the same time, like I, I always say games media and games development are two different industries. They're two different industries that work together and kind of benefit from each other, but like they're very different working conditions at the end of the day. And yeah. I don't think what we did necessarily will just be copy paste work for anybody, especially a game developer. That said, you know, games in general is such like a, a young art form. It is only a few decades old in the scheme of things. And if you look towards other mediums like theater or film, um, those places have been very pro-union and have been unionized for a very long time. Similarly, kind of older print newsrooms have been unionized for a very long time. And I think that this is this is a, a the next step on the path of games in a lot of ways, because we've seen this year, especially like, and last year, kind of what happens when you don't have, when the workers kind of don't have power that they should. Um, right. And I think that the industry is maturing. And I think that unionizing is part of that, that process, to be honest. Uh, and it's also just been like a very eye-opening thing for me too. Like my, my mom is a member of SAG-AFTRA. I have always been pro-union growing up pro-union. And even I kind of growing up in this cult, the culture of the United States, like had misconceptions about what this was and what was going on and how to do it and all that stuff. So the process has really opened me up towards like a lot of what I didn't know, even, even being pro-union. And so I do hope that it's just sort of like, I hope other people investigate it. I hope other people just sort of like start asking those questions, you know, don't, you don't necessarily have to run out the door and say unionize in your office or whatever, but like, just start looking into it, I think is like a really good starting point of just like, get curious, you know? Yeah. Well, it's certainly inspiring to see, and we're thrilled that it's, uh, it looks like it's, it's uh, happening and, and uh, the, you know, the collective bargaining will reap benefits for, for everybody. Uh, yeah. The, we've, the, we've got a long way to go. We still got yeah. some discussion. We have to lock down uh, it's kind of the, the exact form of our unit, what it looks like. And obviously coming to the table and bargaining is, is a whole process on its own. Sure. Uh, but again, we're cautiously optimistic that Ziff Davis is going to be doing that in good faith. We hope they do. And we, you know, are definitely going to as well. And so it's, it's, there's still a road to go, but uh, it's very, very encouraging and exciting what's happened so far for sure. I also think it's really cool. You know, we, we talked about it as it was happening a few weeks ago and the online petition, the amount of support from the public. Yeah. I thought that was really cool to see as well. And let me be clear when I say like that, that had a substantive substantive like impact on what happened right like it a lot of the times you see an online petition like that or you see somebody asking for retweets or whatever and you think like how much does this actually affect this Uh, 
our management seeing thousands of people signing a petition and retweeting support of us and celebrities chiming in and saying we support the IGN union and all this stuff really does anybody saying, throwing their voice in really does help that because one of the sort of protections, and this isn't to say specifically this is like a concern with Ziff Davis or whatever, but like generally speaking, one of the protections is public support because if you have people, the bigger the blowback is for a company, the less likely they are going to try to be crappy about something, right? right. Like the the more public it is, the more people have eyes on it. They're not going to, they're going to want to avoid bad PR, just sort of plain and simple. So really, really like a- anybody who signed that petition, anybody who, you know, retweeted the IGN union tweet, we can't thank you enough. It really, really did make a difference. So cool to see. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Let's get into the rest of the show because we have some topics that very much relate to what we're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get into it and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We love hearing from you there. Anything you'd like to tell us or comment on, we we love getting emails from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. But that's not the only way to make contact with us and reach out and be part of the community. We also have a Discord, 5x5DLC on Discord. Uh, You can hang out with like-minded folks, talk about the show, talk about anything you'd like to talk about. 5x5DLC is the Discord. But Tom, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, well, I mean, th- so I think it's the top one that is on your dock because yeah. just to give you a context of how like sort of insane 2024 has been, uh, I opened up the the planning doc that y'all sent me and the top one was the layoffs at EA and Sony. And I went, oh, this must be an old doc that they've sent because God. that was that was like last week right yeah. and it's like oh no no that was less than a week ago it's just that we're getting another story like that every single week <laughs> it is it's heartbreaking it's frustrating and it does seem redundant at this point not to use a pun but it is it, it is yet more layoffs uh playstation announced 900 people uh being laid off we got EA uh, laying off 670. It, is, it does seem nonstop. It seems like the story that we are talking about every single week in some capacity. Some weeks, we just, we just don't even talk about it because it's like, yeah, more. But these are huge companies. You know, Microsoft, of course, um, not too long ago, we talked about that one. Uh, so now we have uh, the other big console manufacturer, PlayStation, with its round 8% of the company's overall uh, workforce <clears throat> affected by this, including folks at Insomniac, Naughty Dog, Guerrilla Games. Um, there is even some some canceled games uh, that that you know, are casualties of this downsizing, uh, and a, a, along with Electronic Arts, uh, who is uh, canceled some games as well. I, I mean, I don't even know how to process this anymore, Tom. I mean, I. I We've said all the things. <laughs> yeah. It just keeps happening. It just keeps happening and it just keeps happening to like, it's it's so tiring, especially when it happens to studios that 
we perceive like obviously we don't know the details of everything on the back end of what's happening at a company but like we perceive someone like insomniac as just having released a hit spider-man game yeah and then for them to get layoffs months later is like wait something must just be fundamentally broken in this industry right now if that sort of thing is happening and i don't frankly know enough about the industry to be able to say exactly what it is in any definitive sort of case um but yeah it's it's really tragic it's really painful and it feels like we've gone from like my perspective on it is that it feels like we've gone from a stretch of a bad economy or whatever you want to call it, a downturn whatever and we've gone into the industry is changing it is being reshaped right it feels like something just wasn't working and the bill has come due and everybody is having to change now to survive in some fashion. And that's Mm. not saying, again, that's definitely not saying these layoffs were just or anything like that. It's just like this, this is bigger than, you know, just some sort of, you know, bad quarter or bad year. Right. Like it's, this is, this feels fundamental in a way that I have not seen, at least in my time covering games. I agree. And, and to that end, uh, we actually got uh, an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, this was sent to us by Jeffrey, who pointed us to a uh, Yahoo Finance article um, uh, about layoffs, uh, not just in video games, but across the entire tech sector, which we've seen, you know, even the biggest companies that are <laughs> posting record profits, like Microsoft, Google, um, Meta, uh, are doing layoffs as well, large, these large layoffs. And uh, this uh, article actually is a, it's a blog post from uh, Scott Galloway um, who posits that maybe some of this is actually the effect of AI on the workplace. And I don't, Hmm. I don't want to shoot too far off onto a tangent and conflate two big issues here, but I do think this is interesting. And I wonder what you make of it, Tom. I, uh, his his position is uh, he actually compares it to Ozempic, where he says, you know, you don't you don't know anybody that's on Ozempic, but there's people on a, a lot of people on Ozempic, so it's not like these people aren't talking about it. And he he equates that to uh, AI in the tech sector, um, making it possible to eliminate a large portion of these jobs, and nobody's talking about the reason why. They're just saying, oh, we have to contract, da 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 da. da. But maybe it actually is because the tools now um, allow these companies to actually employ fewer people. Hmm. What do you make of that? Do you, do you smell any truth there or is that kind of conflating two separate issues? Um, I don't know enough to say about the tech sector. I, th- I think on the game side, that may be one factor, but can't be the only one to me, if that makes sense. Like there's been a lot of our own Rebecca Valentine, a, a reporter at IGN did this story kind of looking at some of the causes and then also some of the, another story looking at the human element of it, um, and hearing people's stories about people who had actually been laid off. And it does seem like one major culprit is just overextending people just like going from this boom to just saying we can make anything and starting all of these projects and then, you know, running out of money and having to, you know, realizing that they, they did too much. I think AI, yeah, like I said, I don't know specifically on the tech side, I wouldn't be surprised if that's happening necessarily Mm -hmm. because like 
the thing that has shocked me about AI in the last year, especially, is that it has gone from it's gone from zero to sixty, right? Like it, it really went from a theoretical to people are using it right now in the field overnight, almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't have a sense of the scope of how that's being used internally at places like that yet. But I know that there's at least on the creative side of things, when you're talking about games or TV or media or whatever, there's already a lot of pushback on that. And so I would be surprised if, you know, someone like Sony was laying off 900 people to start using AI. That doesn't track to me, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Google doesn't care about that necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. Christian Spicer, um, we've reported numerous of these stories. Uh, Last year, it seemed like it was, there's no way it could, could continue into 2024 and hit with as much impact. And yet here we are the first three months, three months, two months of uh, 2024 have had nearly as many layoffs as the entire year of 2023. It does not seem to be slowing down. I don't know what else there is for us to say, but I'm curious what your reaction is. It stinks. (laughs) (laughs) It, 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 It has stunk. It continues to stink. Um, I think there's a million ways to Monday morning quarterback it, uh, or armchair analyst the the situation. Um, but my heart just goes out to those folks. It, 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 it just, you know, we, we've had some conversations on this show about maybe why it quote unquote makes sense or the a retraction after the boom from COVID or coming back to a world without quote unquote free money where, you know, there's actually interest rates attached to loans and people aren't willing to take the bets that they were before or the changing landscape of gaming and what that means. And again, I couldn't sit here and look at this after the fact and try to come up with some reasoning for it. But I, I don't think a lot of folks necessarily saw it coming ahead of time. And I could be wrong. Maybe folks at the top did. But I think that's where it feels that's where it feels bad because I think Tom made a good point about Insomniac, you know, coming off of Spider-Man and incredible reviews and great profits and just hit after hit after hit after hit. And to see a studio like that um, then suffer from layoffs or London studio who, you know, gave the world sing star among other incredible games over the years, the reports on that studio is that they were put on a games as service game when Sony was really, you know, full steam ahead on on that track, and then those plans changed, so now that studio is shuttered, and that sucks for the people there. Assuming it wasn't those individuals who were like, "We want this game, we want games as service." Like it, it feels bad when stuff comes from the top, gets disseminated down you start then working on something following your marching orders being a good employee or you know whatever it is like putting your passion into it because that's your assignment for the moment and then being told ah we're pivoting as a company uh we're no longer doing video (laughs) you know so bye-bye to every newsroom video staff who six months ago we were pouring millions of dollars into and it, it just really it, it really stinks and it feels like you're kind of in a hurricane and you don't know if you're in the eye of it or where the winds are going to be coming from. And and I think that's what makes this feel really, really bad is not the thousand foot view, not the Monday morning quarterback analyst of what these billion dollar, you know, S and P 500 NASDAQ companies are doing, but the human level of it is, is, is tragic. 
And I think we owe a lot of that to what folks at IGN and, and other sites are doing. And um, Tom mentioned Rebecca's articles about it in her in her work. And we're hearing these stories in a way that I think hopefully leaves a lasting impact on the industry in a way that when GamePro was reviewing games based on sound, graphics, wow factor or whatever, not trying to throw GamePro under the bus, but like we weren't getting that kind of conversation then. And so while the industry is young, I guess my silver lining in all of this is that it's maturing in a way that we can talk about this. And I hope that that has meaningful impact going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about some of the impact on gamers, uh, which doesn't, I don't mean to minimize because really this is, you know, the human side of people who are losing their jobs. We that's first and foremost. But um, you mentioned London Studio being completely shuttered. Uh, this is a studio I, I really like. Blood and Truth, for example, one of my favorite uh, PSVR 1 games. Uh, I think they're very talented people that work there. Um, EA said that they're canceling a bunch of mobile stuff, mobile games. They didn't mention any specific names. They did say that their Iron Man and Black Panther games have not been affected. Uh, those were at Motive and Cliffhanger. Um, but. There was a Mandalorian game, a, a Star Wars uh, linear single player Mandalorian game that has been completely canceled, uh, according to Insider Gaming's report. Uh, and um, on so that's EA's uh, side and, and PlayStation. We don't know what London was working on, but evidently whatever that was is not happening. Um, Tom, do you think that just the market had too many games is it was there is there too much stuff coming out is that what this contraction is about because it feels like a mandalorian single player game would have sold right yeah i mean i i think i've been saying the phrase too many games for like a decade now um, yeah. well we have a we have our own little jingle about that if you'd like to hear it oh. yeah we we say it yeah. a lot here as well yeah it's um so I, I don't think that's necessarily anything new. I do think people kind of got bolder in since the pandemic, especially of just like there was that spike at the beginning of the pandemic where like suddenly games companies were like doing crazy numbers that they hadn't been doing because everyone was just playing video games all day. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of coincided with the last, what, like seven years of everybody chasing the live service dragon and failing or succeeding to varying degrees um yeah i mean that that is a problem right is i think specifically is i think you could have a huge amount of single player games coming out at any given time and it would not necessarily be the problem that causes a huge industry contraction i think when multiple studios and sometimes the same studio competing with itself are selling lifestyle games where they're saying you should be spending all your time playing apex legends you should be spending all of your time playing you know dota or whatever it is right. uh, there's a million of these right you should be spending all your time grinding out games or gear in suicide squad whatever like you can't have that because right you know, you start to run out of humans <laughs> where either people are jumping between these things or they're sticking with their one game and suddenly they're no longer in the pool to buy the next one because they're right. playing this thing. And I think that is not 
sustainable. I think that 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 live service chasing thing. There's like in my eyes, there is nothing inherently wrong with a live service game. But like when everyone is doing it and everyone is fighting for your attention and everyone wants you to log in for your daily rewards every single day and all that stuff, yeah. it just falls apart because you, you, you're only going to play the the thing that you think is the best or the thing that your friends are playing. Uh, and, and at that point, yeah, I think we've been seeing a lot of that and a lot of that sort of, you know, the, a lot of those games falling flat in recent years, understandably, sometimes even when they're decent games, right? Like yeah. it doesn't have to be a bad game to fall apart as a live service game. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, it's it's one thing to talk about the market having too many things for people to pay for. It's another thing to say the market has too many things for people's time to afford. Yeah. You know, like we can't afford the the demands on our time to play to to support all of these uh, situations. I think that's a very insightful point well, and, and that's and that's something when because as reviews editor one of the things that we do at ign is we generally there's there's some exceptions to this when it's hyper relevant but like generally we don't mention or incorporate price into a review especially because you get into these weird situations where like if this game is a seven at sixty dollars is it an eight at 40 you know right, like you just start right. to get into strange and is it free is all free games tense like you know <laughs> right. you start to get strange questions like that um so generally we avoid it, but one of the other reasons we avoid it is because, you know, to the person making six figures, price is no object, but maybe time is, right? right. And yeah. to the person who's making a lot less money, then, you know, maybe they care a lot more about money and, but, you know, have a lot of time to play games or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, I think those are the two resources. I think time and money are definitely both like when you're telling someone whether they should be playing a game or not you have to you can't just be considering one of those they are both really really important in terms of getting people to come play yeah and i think that the the pendulum has swung at least for me and i think for most people over to the time thing because there are so many free to play games or low price games that put the 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 monetary investment on the back end of well if you like this and you play a lot of it maybe you want to invest on the doodads yeah and i think Think so. It be, has become like, well, what do you spend your time on first and foremost? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, it's sad to see this continuing, and I don't think we've hit the end of it. I mean, EA alone last March, twenty twenty three's March, they laid off uh, what like six percent of their workforce, and here we are five percent again this March or late February. It's uh, frustrating. Okay, before we get to Christian's story of the week, we'll take a quick break for a sponsor. This episode of DLC is brought to you by Raycon. Christian, I know you know this about me. Maybe some folks that listen to this show do not. But I do not listen to trailers. I avoid trailers when I go to the movies. Or anytime, really. I like watching a movie without having seen its trailer beforehand. I know, I'm weird. But there's a point to this. And that is, when I go to the movies, you know what I do? I bring my little headphones with me so that I can sit in my seat, close my eyes during the trailers, and uh, have uh, listen to something else and so I don't hear the trailers in my ears. I'm a weirdo. I, I get it. I'm a weirdo. 
this isn't a use case for everybody, but for me, <laughs> it's one of the many use cases where I uh, I use my Raycon everyday earbuds. Well, what are you using your Raycon everyday earbuds for? I was gonna say, can I uh, provide a, I think a far more normal uh, use for them? Uh, short version, pretty much whenever I leave the house, it's like I have my everyday carry things and things you kind of just grab and go. But every time I take my dog on a walk, I am a big person, a big fan of listening to podcasts as I walk my dog and my Raycons uh, have an awareness mode in it where I can have both earphones in, but also hear what's happening around me. So if a neighbor's like, hey, or they're like, your dog's pooping on my yard, uh, I can hear <laughs> I can hear that both ways. So it's easy, leash, treat, Raycons, door, out, we out. Also, whenever Jeff talks about not watching trailers, I usually pop in uh, my <laughs> headphones too. <laughs> so, you know, multiple reasons to wear your Raycon everyday earbuds. That's why they're everyday. And they also offer amazing audio quality at half the price of other premium audio brands. You don't have to take our word for it. You can check out their tens of thousands of five-star reviews. Raycon's optimized gel tips are designed to fit comfortably in your ears and actually stay there, whether you're, you know, at the movie theater hanging out or you're jogging with your doggy. Either one, they're going to stay in your ears. I take my Raycons, uh, as you said, uh on the go uh to the movie theater i like I, one of the my favorite things about the raycons is, that i got the everyday earbuds is uh, i got the red ones and i love the fact uh that i don't lose them because they stick out they're red uh, you know other brands they're in these kind of you know more uh let's say neutral colors that just blend into the environment and i lose them i don't know where they are but my red Raycons, they stand out to any background. Pretty cool. So you got three customizable sound profiles. You got your earbud tap fun functions like Christian talked about. You got your noise isolation and your awareness mode. You got to try these. They can have an up to 32-hour battery life with eight hours of playtime. You don't have to worry about whether they're up for the task in your life anywhere you take them. Go to buyraycon.com slash DLC today to get 20% off your Raycon order. Plus, free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash DLC. That's buyraycon.com slash DLC. All right, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Look, sometimes we make predictions at the beginning of the year that we're just pretty sure about. You know, like we're always – we start at Bold on this show. We start at Bold and we go to Cool Ranch. We don't do the easy predictions. We don't do the easy predictions. So we're already, we're already getting out. You know, we're, we're walking to the end, end of the branch already. But sometimes – We've made a prediction for so many years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems long... like, well, this year it has to happen, right? <laughs> yes. And then you get early chatter in the beginning of the year that's going to happen. And you're feeling good about your predictions. And you kind of lean back. You put your hands behind your head. You get in the max and relaxing position. And then they tell you that the switch to 
while not announced, by the way, probably the console that has yet to be announced that is the most talked about console, uh, perhaps of all time. Still not announced, but it's now officially coming in 2025, a delay from its previous unannounced 2024 <laughs> release date. <laughs> Which was so previously be- 2023 and 2022. Yeah, I, yeah. We, I think we, we got into our predictions this year with the assumption that the Switch 2 was happening this year, and we were like predicting details Price, about the launch release. games like, when, and, yeah. when, it, when it comes out this year which we all know it is uh you know and then here we are uh so yes not necessarily confirmed or unconfirmed but it seems like <laughs> it the, also can't be a delay if it hasn't been announced like i know we're <laughs> playing a part in this but like <laughs> you know it, uh Dune 7 has yeah. been pushed back to 2032. There's no Dune 7. There will be, and it's been delayed. You know, like it, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're getting uh, reports um, that uh, Switch 2 has been pushed out of 2024 into Q1 2025. Stay tuned because that Q1 thing may not be, may not stand very long either. But uh, unofficially, but the consensus among people reporting on this kind of thing uh, seems to think that uh, Nintendo is aiming for a March 2025 release for whatever the sequel to Switch will be called. Um, and we got some news this week about why that may be the case. Uh, and uh, part of this is supply chain. So part of it, part of it is literally the, the, the bits and pieces of whatever they're putting into that console are uh, harder to come by and maybe are taking a little longer than they would have liked. But also, according to a uh, Japanese news publication, uh, Nikkei, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, um, they're saying that um, the launch lineup, the software side, is causing Nintendo to delay a new new console. So, Tom, I'm curious... What you make of this? I mean, we've all been sitting around. It feels like the a sequel to the Switch is so much of a no-brainer that everybody has been thinking it's going to happen for three, four years now. Um, what do you think? Nintendo, they don't need much to launch a console. One, two games that are huge, you know, that's all you kind of need. Give what do you Luigi think about a vacuum, put yeah. it out. You know, that's all you got to do. <laughs> <Come It's easy>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Boy, I don't... It's like... It's like trying to like – it's like we're discussing like what big what we thought about Bigfoot's lunch and we're like, well, I don't know. Like maybe – it's like, well, does he exist? Let's let's confirm that. I don't, it's just like it's been rumored so many times. It's so yeah. – like you guys were just saying, but it's just so funny how ephemeral this is and then yeah. now the the reports are so much more – confident than they were like sort of seemingly or or at least that's that's the vibe off of them um i i think if it is delayed or not delayed you know the uh, big air quotes delayed um my only concern is just man who's gonna bail the games industry out of 2024 if this thing is if this thing slips past because fiscal year right fiscal year is like april 1st to april 1st so if it's q1 of 2025 that might be good but if like because obviously game developers know a lot more than we do and if if internally all of these game developers were banking on a big boost in 2024 thanks to a new console from nintendo and then it slips that's 
could cause a lot more pain in a year that has already had a lot of pain. Um, yeah, so that's I mean, my that's my big concern. Not knowing any of the details of what the thing actually is. I think that's a really great point, especially because we're looking at Sony really not having any first party software for this calendar year. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Microsoft has some big hits uh, or some big games uh, on the horizon, but it really does feel like is 2024 kind of a weird down year. If, if switch two doesn't happen, if you know that, that is an, especially coming off of, 2023 which was like this like banger after banger after banger all year long it was like wow yeah. all these games are coming out that were all delayed from covid and now they're all landing here and now there's this weird new lull potentially in the in the following year it does feel strange and like you point out potentially not not great uh financially for you know literally just coming off this last story about all these layoffs and continuing layoffs man well the the weird thing about 2020 i think 2024 could expose sort of the dark side of 2023 that nobody talks about, which is that like 2023 was a polarized year, right? It was a lot of people talk about 2023 as like one of the best years of video games ever, right? Because it had Baldur's Gate and it had Tears of the Kingdom and had all these amazing, incredible games. But the flip side of that is that there were a lot of really high profile disasters in 2023, like uh, the day before and Gollum got hammered, right? Mm, and like you yeah. had game mill releasing things like kong skull like skull island that like you know was getting dunked on all over the place i i did the stats because i looked at this i was thinking about everybody talking about how 2023 was like this huge year 2023 had some of the highest rated games some of the like a high concentration of games rated i went back and looked at all of our reviews on ign through since we changed the 10 point scale in 2020 and it had some of the most highest. It had the least sevens and eights we've ever given. And it had the most fours. It had the same amount of fours that we gave in the last three years combined, like wow. the three years previously combined. We gave Nintendo uh, a four, a five, a six, a seven, an eight, and a nine, and a 10 that year. And Nintendo first party games in 2023. So like the year ran the whole scale, basically. Mm. We gave a one. We gave our first one in a in a decade in 2023 and part of me thinks that like this might be a down year and obviously we're talking about this while final fantasy 7 rebirth just came out to great reviews so it's not like this year is a disaster completely right. or whatever right but like i'm wondering if 2024 was the year of like a lot of projects ending and then also 2023 is gonna slip into like well we had all the highs that come out in 2023 and now like the lows are going to kind of keep drifting or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's oh, it's a man. weird year and it's only going to get weirder I think and I I just wanted I just want Nintendo to tell me that they are making a console. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, just tell us that it's actually happening. Well, that's the that, that's, that's the, the thing nugget too, I need. <laughs> well, now if it, I mean that's a really interesting tidbit right there in that if it's March, do they talk about it before the end of 2024? Are You'd we talking about it? Think does it, so, right? But does it cast a shadow over the holiday? And and so it's like, well, am I buying switches for the holiday to for people? Am I are switch games coming out for the holiday? You know, I I think yeah. that's a really interesting question in and of itself. Um, yeah, because if they announce in like October or something like that, then suddenly, why would you ever buy a switch for Christmas? Right? Right. Yes. I, I think that's a, a really, um, you know, I mean, not insignificant it, concern. I think that's uh, – it, it'll be interesting to see what the strategy is with that. 
But I have to ask you before we even move on is what was the one? What was the game that got a one? Uh, the, the day before. Oh, it was the day before. Okay. We got our review out right after it was taken off sale. <laughs> we, we were cooking that one up and then it was like, oh, oh, nobody can buy it anymore. Okay. Oh, it's being refunded everywhere. Well, I guess we're just going to post that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Christian, um, you know, other than our messing up our all our predictions, what do you, what do you think about <laughs> Switch 2 not being this year? It, if the software rumors are accurate that they're waiting to have a you know a stronger launch lineup i think that's great i mean the, the reasoning that's been rumored bantered about for this makes sense to me another one is to have more consoles to be able to sell to avoid the scalpers i'm sure there will still be some of that because it'll be a you know a highly desirable console when it comes out but if it is for them to have enough to satisfy launch demand and to have some great games to go alongside it it's hard to find fault in that strategy as, as yeah. someone who enjoys those games. Um, I think I'm trying to think if I prefer the holiday console launch or I like this kind of, I don't want, there hasn't been enough of them. So to say newer, but this early year drop. And I kind of think an early year drops kind of exciting. I kind of think like that March drop, is a really interesting, cool time to launch a console because then you have time for it to mature over the year and then you get another little you know, potential sales bump around the holidays if you're able to ramp up production again, if you are the manufacturer. you get It's kind of like um, you, uh, two, two hype cycles for the price of one console You know, in a way that if you drop it at holiday, you're waiting till the next holiday to get that burst of... Hmm. news around your console and so I, I think it could work out really really well and i was looking up um other nintendo launches and they haven't been exclusively holiday releases in the past especially if you look at their handhelds and stuff um but i, I don't know i think it could be really smart this thing comes out in march everybody's going wild for it and then you know these games are incredible it's so awesome and then holidays come around and what does everybody want again <laughs> that new nintendo well, you know this uh really fun conversation until the inevitable it's delayed till fall 2025 <laughs> conversation happens and then uh we're wrong again you know the, so. the october nintendo direct is just nintendo saying we're going third party we're no longer <laughs> making consoles <laughs> oh, what? No! Uh, I mean, all right well, the, oh, well to ahead. that to that point like I, maybe this is a big tangent so stop me if if you don't want to go down it with me but like at the same time, like I also just want Nintendo to announce it because I don't know what they're going to do. Like Nintendo yeah. is not one to just make a, a PS4, PS5 sort of upgrade, right? right. They yeah. they always sort of do something a little something different. Something funky, yeah. Yeah, like the GameCube, I think the, the, the N64 to the GameCube was sort of the most linear, but at that point, you know – you know the technological leaps were so large at that point that they didn't yeah. really need to be making sort of like not to call it gimmicky but like other sort of reasons to to be interested so i'm i'm yeah. just curious what they're gonna do and, and if even they the announce GameCube, it, it was like we're not doing cartridges we're doing these tiny little discs and it's right gonna, yeah, yeah still it's totally. funky yeah yeah and so like 
I, I we're calling it the Switch Two, but like I can't imagine they're just like here's a Switch, but with more graphics, right? Like what is going to be the thing? Which is why I just want them to announce it because then if they're yeah. like it's delayed till fall of 2025, I'm like that's fine. I just want to know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it's fine. I'll, but knowing that it's going to strap to my forehead in some weird way, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can prepare. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. All right. Well, my uh, my story of the week, you know, we've uh, been in kind of negative town. I feel like my story of the week is a little more a little more positive, uh, at least interesting and uh, hopeful, perhaps, for a couple of uh, studios that uh, they're I'm lumping these two together because I think they're kind of thematically linked. But we got news this week that Toys for Bob is breaking away from Activision, splitting from Activision and going indie and saber interactive is leaving embracer group now these are the 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 methodology the the mechanics of how these are working in each of these stories is is not the same it's very different toys for bob is is uh splitting from um from activision and potentially partnering with microsoft we don't know that for sure but uh saber interactive was literally to be clear which to be clear is microsoft now like they're that's true separating from microsoft to now to be with microsoft some but, nuance but, here that maybe those there were layoffs and they're able to buy themselves out and something. Yeah, something, something. but, but anyway, as, as an indie as an indie studio, that's not sort of taking uh, taking you know uh, commands from on high. Um, and but Saber was purchased by a third party. There was somebody came in and bought them and is planning to sort of flip them. It sounds like, uh, which is kind of wild. Um, either, but. I th- the reason I lumped these together is because it's interesting to me. You know, we've obviously coming off uh, all the layoffs we've been talking about and continue to talk about. Uh, I just think it's encouraging to see these studios try to put their fate in their own hands. And um, Tom, I'm curious, you know, I don't think it's uh, thematically different from you at IGN putting your own fate in your own hands as well. And I'm wondering what you make of of these two stories. Yeah, no, I mean they're definitely you're you're right to say it's it's a little more hopeful in in the news category, right? And um I think there are similarities to something like what we've done with unionizing of trying to trying to take control of your destiny a little bit more. Obviously, there are there's management within those groups and workers and management are two different things sort of to in to that in that sense, but yeah. at the same time, like I I you know it has to be said too. We have seen indie studios lately going through layoffs as well, right? Like there, there have it's not just hitting the major corporations, but we've also seen cases like Larian, right, with Baldur's yeah. Gate, where they are, as far as I understand it, I have not double checked this, but the basically they're just owned by Sven, the CEO, who has just always owned Larian, and I think there's like a minority stake from some other company, but like it's just his. He just owns it, right? They don't yeah. have to answer to shareholders. They don't have to answer to a larger body. And like they made one of probably the best video games ever made last year, right? Like so like I would be – I think probably there are studios looking to those those examples and saying, you know what? Why are we putting up with this? Why are we? Why are we dealing – why are we worrying every day about like – what's going to happen to us and our employees and why don't we just try to do this and i imagine that road is also very hard and comes with its own pitfalls but it 
sure sounds alluring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you said, hopeful. And, you know, we'll, we'll obviously see how this goes. Uh, Toys for Bob, um, because they were with, uh, you know, they've done a lot of really cool stuff over the years, I think. Um, but because they were with, uh, you know, a subsidiary of Activision, um, they got to work on Crash Bandicoot and Spyro. And there's there's some question as to whether they will actually be able to work on those kind of IP in the future. So there's things you're giving up potentially sure. by, by, you know, going, staking your own claim. But um, I, I do think this is kind of cool. And Larian is a great example. There are other examples of studios that remain independent. And I, I think we've even reported on the fact that Larian has turned down acquisition offers, you know, and I'm sure lot, these big places have thrown a lot of numbers with a lot of zeros on them their way. And you know, cool. you know, Microsoft tried to buy Larian at some point. Oh, a hundred percent. And I just think it's cool to, you know, to bet on yourself, to, to, to have that kind of confidence and have that kind of, and it's, it's, you know, not everybody's able to do that obviously, but uh, I think it's cool to see, these two developers that have been one thing and are now trying to uh, do what is risky, but I think potentially very cool, um, a different approach. Uh, Christian, yeah. what is what is your? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Well, the, the one thing I was going to mention is like, yeah, they're definitely. I think it's definitely different pitfalls too, because like, I, I interviewed Tim Schafer uh, from Double Fine back when they first got bought by Microsoft, and I, I literally asked him, I was like, why? Like why you guys have been independent for so long, you you know, you you've made all these incredible games. Why are you doing this? And he said to me, because I then I don't have to worry about paying my employees every month. I don't have to worry yeah. about where their that money is coming from. I can just we can make so obviously Microsoft has cultivated some sort of environment to some degree to allow folk to have a bit of freedom in that regard, but you know, we we don't know the inner workings of what Toys for Bob were going through or what they're now going to be going through. And I think it, it, what's clear is that one size shoe does not fit all game development studios to yeah. uh, in, in this environment. Yeah, and I, I you bring up that anecdote recalls the that wonderful uh, Psychonauts documentary where you really see right. them go through those moments of I don't know if I'll be able to pay the people that are working for me. You know, that's that's got to be a stress that nobody wants to endure. <laughs> yeah. Um, Christian, what's your uh, what's your feeling about the these two uh, these two studios going independent? Um, Embracer sure seemed like a bad thing for the industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I, I'm hesitant to just do blanket uh, statements like that. But man, what what a bunch of blood they created! You know, the, it swept in, bought all this stuff. It seems like just from the beginning of the hopes that they've been able to then secure this other, you know, billion dollar investment from I think it was a Saudi group was the rumored group that as they were investing in and in, in diversifying their portfolio. And then without that, it seemed like Embracer just had no like they put it all on black and spun the wheel, and it did not work out. And it seems like it's been terrible, 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 terrible for all of the people. So. That story makes me very optimistic. I, I hope that those folks and the uh, gearbox is rumored as well. I'm sure that they will announce it right after we click publish on this episode, Jeff, that that will <laughs> yeah, be, sure. become official. Um, so that seems great. I think these studios coming out of Embrace are getting a, another chance at life, uh, however possible, on, only seems encouraging. Toys yeah, for Bob. Oh, sorry, just to, just to put a 
punctuation mark on that uh, and, and be clear to everybody listening. So the details are that Saber Interactive evidently was acquired by Embracer Group in 2020 for $525 million. They just found somebody to pay $500 million to Embracer to purchase them back. So Embracer already lost $25 million on that deal. Purchased. I think Toys for Bob, I'm, I'm super hopeful. I, I do feel as if, you know, they're – they were a casualty of an of an M and A. Um, you know, what do you do? I'm an M and A. Okay, yeah, you're a serial killer. There's books about that, literal books about <laughs> uh, business in the '80s. You know, um, I so I think that their transition here feels like believing in themselves, which is awesome, and and taking that chance. And they found the people that are going to help them in that path, you know, not to just only use sports analogies, but it's Tom Brady being drafted wherever he was drafted. Everybody had a chance to take Tom Brady and they looked at him and they were like, you are not good enough at football. And oops, very good. Steph Curry, you are not good enough to play basketball in a big college. Steph Curry, you're never going to be oopsie, you know, mistake. And so you have these decision makers. It seems like perhaps folks at Microsoft came in and looked at the Activision suite of companies and maybe didn't have projects for them or knew exactly where to put them or, or what to do with it. And they were doing these layoffs. And uh, it seems, or perhaps one explanation is Toys for Bob saw some of that writing on the wall and had a moment to say, we know what we have here. We're a team of Steph Curry's and Tom Brady's, and we're going to go out and make something awesome. And it seems like, you know, we still have this good relationship with this bigger company and we're going to bet on ourselves and go out and take this swing. And I, I really hope that works out because for every Rocky, there's people who never get to make it to the ring, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so that's the feeling I have for Toys for Bob. And I, I hope they get to go back to making the games that they believe in and are passionate about because that company over the years, when they are firing on all cylinders, um, they're hard to beat. So hopefully they get to do that again. So if I can parse your metaphor – Mm -hmm. A basketball player and a football player are going to team up to go into boxing. That's no, you got it. You that's got it what I got. That's what, yeah. you got it all. You got it all wrong. <laughs> a basketball player killed Apollo Creed. <laughs> okay, all and right. his son is starting a football <laughs> league with Tom Brady. Okay, so Apollo Sounds Creed's good. son, not the basketball. Look, it makes sense. It was a yeah. perfectly clear a chart. You could download it. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Anyway, you got to be um, a patron. You got to be a patron to see the, we're, uh, the chart. Yeah, anybody There's can no listen chart. to our metaphors for free, but to understand them. There's no chart. Look, if you come to my house, I will make you a latte or an espresso, and I will give you, I'll pull out the cork board. It answers nothing, but you can see the cork board and have a delicious All coffee. Right. Well, we have uh, we have a lot of hopes for uh, Toys for Bob and for Saber. Uh, and it seems like a very cool thing. So we'll see how that all pans out. And hopefully Tom Brady does something here in the future. Yeah, I think that guy's got a lot of promise. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the games that we have been playing in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us. Ooh, you playing this week? Tell us on The Playlist. Tom, you have been playing uh, a few games. Where would you like to start? Uh, let's start with the smaller one because <laughs> they All are right. probably the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I, I've been playing a lot of this game called Balatro, which has been taking the internet by storm, I think to a certain extent. 
Yes. Maybe have, you'll do a better job of explaining why it's so great than I, I've, I've struggled. I've explained this game and talked about this game and talked about how it has, has addicted me. And yet I don't know if I've actually conveyed to someone that hasn't played it, what makes it so addictive. Uh, it's, it's just that one more turn feeling crystallized. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's also, it hits on, I think it hits on something where like games and especially roguelikes with lots of weird elements to them can be very sort of, uh, they can have a high barrier of like parsing the language of it. And because Balatro and I'll, you know, I'll skip the details cause it sounds like you've talked about it plenty already, but like, because it uses the language of poker and it uses the language of just a 52 card deck, almost everybody in the world, I feel like knows that to some extent. And so you just understand what you're doing right away. And then it very slowly starts introducing these weird things where, you know, all of your hearts and your, your diamonds count as the same suit. And suddenly you're like, I'm getting thousands of flushes every time. Right. (laughs) And so, I think that it just does this really good thing of tapping into a very simple, very digestible, very born into a gamer's brain visual language, and then just makes it, just turns the dial up every time you play and introduces some new thing every time you play. And the rounds are so quick, you know, you're only playing three hands for a round or whatever at the most sometimes it's one and so it just keeps going and it escalates so wildly where you're starting with these hands that are making like a hundred points and then you're getting to hundreds of thousands in, in <laughs> a, you know 20 minutes later it's it's really just a yeah it just takes that sort of like i i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go one more time and just dials it all the way up yeah, and I, another thing that I think is so amazing about it is that it it gives you so many choices, like choice per minute, which I I find to be very satisfying as a as a gamer. Uh, one of the things I love is, is is juicy choices, and it just feels like there are more choices in a given minute in in Balatro than I've been calling it Balatro. Is that wrong? Balatro? I have no idea. Okay. We're, we're both right and both wrong. I think. Okay, good. Um, is you know there's so many things that i could that are really juicy choices and not just you know not just this choice of good a good thing versus bad thing it's i want to i want to do all of these things it's mm-hmm. it's i've got a million good options which i think is a very difficult thing to do in video games i think there's there's a lot of ways to to do uh you know, there's one option that sticks out or like, that's the one I like, or, or eh, I can get the chaff, eliminate the chaff. But Baltro seems to always provide me with a bunch of great options, all of which I want. And I can only afford a few. And I love that the juiciness of that. Yeah. It's also just very funny when you start, you you know, it starts with just poker hands and then the first time I got a five of a kind, I was <laughs> yeah. like, this game is weird and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you can do a full house flush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, really, really excellent game made by a single person. Uh, pretty, pretty wild. And it's just, um, they, I, I think they announced that they beat Slay the Spires concurrent 
gamer account on Steam last week. Wow. Which is like the the, the record for uh, games, you know, sort of uh, roguelites of this type, mm-hmm. um, which is great to see. It just seems like people are, are catching wind of this game. It is so, so good. Yeah. Again, that's Balatro or Balatro, uh, however you'd like to, to pronounce it. Um, and it's something that Tom has been playing. What else is on your playlist? Yeah. So I had, I had my first kid last June. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. So right now I'm going through, I'm playing games that are either can be stopped at any given moment, right? <laughs> for, for during the day. And then in the evening when she's asleep, we uh, have been diving into uh, like a dragon infinite wealth. Cause we actually have time. Um, and yeah, so like a dragon is, I, I loved Yakuza like a dragon or like a dragon seven, whatever you want to call it. Um, and this one is, I'm just so happy to be back with the main character. Ichiban Kasuga is, is one of my favorite video game characters ever probably. And to have him back and, and to have him getting up into weird, crazy shenanigans has just been a blast. I I'm, I've flirted with this series a few times. Christian has gotten into like a dragon a bit more than I have. Um, tell me why I should play infinite wealth or, or should I play it first? Should I play a previous one before this one? That's so, that's such a hard question. The, I think if I was this game, so it's one of those tricky things where mechanically speaking, this game is absolutely better than Yakuza Like a Dragon than its successor, but or its, its predecessor. But the first one or the last one does such a good job of introducing the character and who he is and making you fall in love with him. I would almost still recommend you go back and play that one first. Um, it's... The Yakuza series is so good. <laughs> and, <laughs> and one of the reasons it's so good is because it is prestige... TV drama in a action beat em up game or a turn based if you're playing the more recent ones, and then on top of that, the like the stories are just phenomenal, and the act like the voice acting and the 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 way it presents a story is kind of unparalleled to be honest. Like wow. there are other games that do it phenomenally, but the the specific way this does it feels like watching a prestige HBO TV drama or something like that. Um, and then at the same time, you go off and do side missions that are just absurd and <laughs> over the top and completely non-serious. And so there's this incredible balance of like, you can't get these stories in almost any other game series combined with not taking that so die hard seriously. That is, it's just incredibly unique. It's it's really, really fantastic. And I would recommend people either start with Yakuza Like a Dragon or probably like Yakuza Zero if you want the action beat em up ones. I got to tell you that part of the reason I've never actually taken the plunge is that goofiness that sure. I, re- I read from the trailers and I see, you know, it, it feels a little off putting to me. That doesn't undermine the, the cool HBO prestige TV part of it. No, it doesn't. Weirdly, it doesn't. I mean, Okay, I will say it kind of does in that <laughs> you'll be having you'll be dealing with these incredibly serious topics and then you'll go off to literally I'm doing a side mission right now where my pet crawfish has a crush on a on a uh a like hermit crab. Sure. So we're looking for a gift for the hermit crab so that Who can they forget can that episode of Succession where that yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah, you know, that one. <laughs> um 
And meanwhile, like one of the main characters has cancer and has only a few months to live. And you're like, wait, shouldn't I be? No, no, we got to get the hermit crab something, you know? It's... So there's a little bit of dissonance that, you know, the, what's the word? Uh, uh, the ludo narrative dissonance, yeah, right. right? That's the, the very academic way to put it. But at the same time, the story itself, like the stories they're telling are so sort of genuine and so touching and so real that like th- this is the first game I've played that fully addresses the pandemic. The mm. pandemic in this world just happened, right? Mm. It, it yeah. was a thing. And the the main character is deal- going through at the very beginning of the game gets laid off, right? And it has to deal with all these people who are out of work like him because of the pandemic. And they're talking about like how things have changed since then. And like, that's, vi- that's very real for like, not, you don't really get those conversations in other games. And so because they tell that side of the story so well, it doesn't make the goofiness feel like it does, the goofiness doesn't undermine that. It's just this other sort of half of the game. Very cool. That's like a dragon, infinite wealth. I'm eventually going to play this game. I really am. I, I really am. I, I'm I'm so curious about if I'll enjoy it. It's just everybody, every single person I've talked to that has played it absolutely loves it. So I don't know why I'm so, it's so hard for me to get over the hump to actually try it. But some I'm, games, some RPGs, the suspension of disbelief is that you're in a fantasy world fighting alongside dragons doing magic or whatever. The suspension of disbelief in this game is that you have a pet crawfish who's dating a crab <laughs> and then everything else is serious and normal, right? Like right, you just kind of got to get over that and enjoy the ride. <laughs> I love it. Well, speaking of role-playing games uh, with uh, a little bit of goofiness, I guess, uh, Christian Spicer You've been playing a little of that Final Fantasy VII Rebirth that everybody's talking about, as have I. But I suspect you've played more than I have. I have played seven hours of Final Fantasy Rebirth. So, so a tenth of what it takes to finish it <laughs> is what I'm understanding. I think I talk, I came to Remake very late. I, I, play, I didn't play Remake until it was out on PlayStation Plus, one of the tiers, uh, whatever that is. And... I really liked it. My history with Final Fantasy VII itself as a game is also very odd where I was the kid who got up before school to play Metal Gear. You know, we had a PlayStation in the house, but not every game pulled me in. And Final Fantasy VII, of course, was this thing that you couldn't escape. It was the supernova. It was the black hole. Um, It was Tom Brady and Steph Curry on one team together playing (laughs) golf, by the way. Um, They're both excellent golfers. Excellent golfers. So that actually that actually made sense. That's right. I finally put them together on a, on a team that worked. Um, <laughs> but I, I played some of it, but I also watched my brothers play a lot of it. And we, you know, it wasn't quite past the controller, but it was like, oh, I'm invested in this story, but I don't need to be the one to play it. And then I come go out with my friends for a few hours, and I come back, and I'm like, you played eight hours without me. And they're like, yeah, of course we did because we love this game, and you left for eight hours. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. So that's like my OG Final Fantasy relationship. Um, Final Fantasy seven, I think is, or rebirth is phenomenal for my seven hours. I think it is a truly incredible game that is deep in ways that the original game didn't necessarily explore mechanically. It's, it's deep. The original game, I think was also mechanically deep for that turn-based style of combat and playing through rebirth now and seeing what is essentially a continuation of what remakes combat felt like, but with some subtle tweaks here and there. But also I think a large tweak is putting it into the open world. 
you know, remake is a very straightforward experience. And, and, and so those encounters were more often or not telegraphed isn't necessarily the right word, but a similar path, a similar play experience for, I think most folks who experienced it and rebirth so far allows for me to have these very different experiences or when I encounter something for me it could be very different than when Tom does or when, when you do Jeff. And I think that's really cool to play with some of the leveling up mechanics and exploring this real time, you know, quote unquote combat that remake introduced and now rebirth is continuing um, into this, into this franchise. And so I, I'm really enjoying my time with it. I do have a couple of, I don't know if they're, they're nits, but I think right now would be my critiques of the game. I'm not sure yet how well it's paced. Like I said, I'm mm. seven hours in and maybe I'm getting a little distracted by all of the cool things it's introducing, but I, I, I don't know if I've done much of what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> like right. it really kind of lets you into this world and, and you can get lost very easily, which is a good thing right now because I'm enjoying everything I'm doing, but I don't know if I'll think it's a good thing 30 hours in and I feel like I've lost the thread and, and you know, I kind of throw my hands up and I'm like, I'm never going to beat it. It's 120 hours. I don't have time for this. So like how much is my curiosity going to punish me later? Um, I do not think it is a good looking game. Uh, certainly not I, as a PS five exclusive, right? Eh, I, yeah, I do not. I think the cutscenes are incredible. Like the character close-ups, not even necessarily cutscenes, but when it kind of transitions to people are just talking and I guess, yeah, it takes the control out of your hands. Some of those character details, you know, glasses that have fog on them in a humid environment or like dust kicked up on them. And like the, elasticity of skin as people emote just absolutely beautiful um but when you're out in that open world i'm playing in the graphics mode i typically mm. now tend to play in the performance mode to get those 60 frames per second but i just found it to be very mm, muddied and, and like vaseline in that performance mode that i made this switch to the 30 frames per second mode and i know you can't necessarily compare uh, two games from different studios uh, that they should be the same, but comparing Final Fantasy VII Rebirth's open world with Horizon, and I mean, it is, they're not in the same league uh, in terms of graphical fidelity. Horizon is just stunning and jaw-dropping, and it is this big open world as well, and I do not think Rebirth looks particularly great. <laughs> and, and most of the time when you're playing, low-res assets that are you know, front and center, like the thing you're climbing on it. Sometimes it looks like an old Hanna-Barbera cartoon or, you know, it's like, that's the thing you pull. That's the book that's going to move. Um, so I think that's kind of a bummer. And then the camera, I don't love the camera and I don't know if it's the same camera as in remake, but maybe it's struggling or I'm struggling more with it in these open world environments. I've moved it back. It gives you two options or three options for when you're out of combat closer and then a little further and then slightly further back and i've moved it all the way back because when i was closer i felt like it was getting caught on things the way you kind of hop and move through the world is still very much the way you hopped and moved through the world in remake so it's not as if in the open world all of a sudden now you're leaping and dive rolling and like moving fluidly the way aloy does in horizon it still is that kind of stilted jump or you land on an interact square that initiates a climb 
Oh, and I was drives me bonkers. I hate those interact swears. It's, Ugh, I don't know. It, I, it's such a pet peeve of mine. It feels like a relic of remake to me where i think it worked yeah. a little better in remake again because for most of that game it was you were in a city <laughs> you know like tight corridors of an urban environment and i i love riding on uh on my um chocobo chocobo yeah. thank you riding around town but that camera is i think somehow worse um <laughs> so i i really struggle with some of the the technical stuff of the game but I'm loving this game. Like, again, I'm finding myself getting distracted by side quests, wanting to spend time with these characters. My main combat party right now is Aerith and Tifa because I want that love triangle to have spent as much time together as possible. Like, you will fight every fight because this is so awkward. Like, be together <laughs> always. Um, and so the characters are fun and, and and they're endearing and the way they interact is 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 really great. I'm not sure if all of the sense of humor is my sense of humor, but it, it's weird to like hear it versus read it. You know, like there are moments in the games that I've read a million times and now I hear someone acted and I'm like, Oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to hear someone say that with a straight face. Um, but it, it, it feels like an accomplishment to make a game that is the middle part, the middle levels of another game feel so rewarding on its own. Um, I was actually thinking about that. Is there even another example of a sequel that is the same story in video games? Because we've seen it a bunch of times in movies, right? You know, the Empire Strikes Back or, you know, there's millions of of, Dune Part 2 is in theaters right now. It's, It's literally the next step of the same story. I don't know another video game sequel that is just the previous game didn't finish a story and we're telling you the next chapter of it. I mean, other than, other than like, um, you know, uh, series the, what are they, what were they called? Yeah. Like what are those called? The, yeah. The episodic games, episodic, you know? episodic games. Yeah. Like, and yeah, like, like in hindsight, episode two or whatever, but I think in hindsight now you could argue like the last of us wasn't complete without the last of us two, except it was, you know, yeah. or like God of war wasn't complete without Ragnarok. It, it was like, we yeah. had a, an ending and remake. Yeah, never from the beginning did remake end. You know, like that was never the point of remake to have a satisfying ending. Sort of the Horizon series. Horizon had like basically an end, but the end was like a little, not to fully spoil it, but you know, it was like a little bit like, well, we got to find out what happens. And now they're making, it's like a trilogy now. So there's (laughs) like kind of, but you're right that this is abrupt, right? This is like a significant sort of step from one step to the next. And yeah, telegraph from the beginning to be that, but also not yeah. be episodic. What we were taught episodic games would be. It's like, no, no, no. These all connect. You, yeah. I think you could jump in with Rebirth and it can kind of catch you up. You absolutely but- can. And it does. A, there's a cool like story up till now thing that they put on the, you know, in, in the main menu that does a pretty good job, I think, of telling you the story. Hmm. Uh, and then my last point is that I stand by the demo not being great. That demo is that kind hmm. of first flashbacky, the, the first demo they released. I don't think that shows the game's strengths, at least from what I've played so far. So much of the strengths, I think, are being able to play in this open world in a real lived-in way um, and ha- hearing the characters talk and getting to know them. Like, this crew is iconic, you know? Like, truly iconic. And to be able to spend time with them this way feels really satisfying. I, 
I would go further, not just the demo. I think it's a bummer that the game starts with the flashback. <laughs> the game is like, okay, you bought this new game, but let's recall back to this time. It's like, well, no, no, no. I want to do the next. I want to do the next part. Um, yeah, I, I, I have. Barely- I was always. I was always really surprised that flashback was not in remake because I reviewed remake yeah. when it first came out and I was just sort of waiting for that flashback and then it never happened and the game ended and I was like, oh, I guess they're saving that. <laughs> and then it was yeah. the first thing. The beginning of this game, it, it, it's it's a little odd choice. It's minor, but it's an odd choice, I think. And I have ba- barely scratched the surface of, of uh, Rebirth, uh, but it's interesting to me how similar my take is to yours, Christian, based on the superficial stuff the the visuals i am legitimately disappointed by and uh the camera stuff i totally hear what you're saying and i i you know even with my limited amount of time on the game so far it's already been a little bit annoying um but i mean the game is is awesome and the storytelling is awesome and it's it's a fun world to be in and they do such a good job of building out that world and making you feel like it is this you know, it, it extends beyond the borders of any given scene. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'll play lots more of it, but um, I, I just find myself, and, and maybe this will change as I put more time into it. I find myself like I was with uh, Remake, just not in love with the combat. It's fine. I think I- it's fine. But I don't love it. I don't relish it. I don't like, I feel like many of the fights, and I've actually felt like this with 16 as well, Final Fantasy 16, Mm. is I just sort of get through the fight in a very bland way. I don't, I'm not incentivized to get creative except on certain fights. And most of the fodder fights aren't fun. And I don't think, that's true of your example, Horizon. Like the Horizon series, every single fight to me is fun. Every fight, every time I'm in combat in Horizon is fun to me because I have so many cool options and I'm constantly kind of improvising my way through it and creating all these cool scenarios. And I just don't think what they've done with the the combat in this game scratches that for me. I know other people really do love it, but I don't. I mean, it, it is superficial only on the surface which i know is a redundant thing to say but the combat is super deep it it just doesn't give you tons of moments necessarily up front to scratch yeah you don't need to do it and and, and but it it gives you all the tutorials for it that i found that when i start to need it i'm like what's a summon how do i (laughs) Oh, that's right. I do the summon. How do I do the synergy? Well, that bar's not lined up. That bar is lit up. Okay. And like, I'm not sure if there will be later tutorials as I get, you know, you've played for 60 hours, but you've yet to do the first story mission. Here's a reminder on on how to do stuff or not. Um, But what I've been treating the fodder fights as is changing who my main is in combat to get a feel for, Oh, I'm going to Tifa main. And so I want to see what that is like, or I'm going to play with this ability from cloud because cloud, uh, but that, I mean, I don't need to go to do a minor spoiler. I'm not even going to say it. So like that is, I, I think that that open world enemy in a large RPG has never been where the combat shines, even with a turn-based game. I don't think you're like walking the over map and like, yay, random encounter. This is going to be a hoot. 
it's the the bigger meteor battles and i think that holds true in rebirth as well so i'm trying to make my own fun <laughs> in the overworld so to speak yeah i guess that's true I, I i will i mean i don't need we don't need to go down a super rabbit hole here but i i do think maybe it's more a feature of my personality than the game it's it's a me problem not a them problem but that whole like, oh, I'll see if I want to be a Tifa main. I will see if, you know, is I'm always sort of halfway wondering if I would have more fun if I was playing a different character right now. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm, sure. There's always a part of me that's like, that was, that was cool what I did, but what if I was not cloud right now? You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I guess it's my own weird quirk of FOMO that I, that is always ever present in the back of my subconscious or conscious, but I don't know. I, it, it is, it is, there's always a kind of a underlying thread of dissatisfaction for me. Cause it's like <laughs> the computer is, is the computer doing the fun part right now? Is, am I missing out on the fun part? If I was that guy. Well, the good news is it's all done the same. And I also think that a little bit, the idea of it being real time combat is not necessarily a disservice, and I know you can tweak it, but like that, re- those real time moments, at least for me, and this is kind of the groove I found in remake as well. And I think Anthony Taramina hit on this well, also when he was talking about it, is you're you're just building to do the thing that is kind of turn based, you know, like you're just yeah. building up your command to do it, and I yeah. happen to be hitting a button that is making me wave my sword around <laughs> on screen while I do that, and then what I'm really doing is looking for a time dodge or getting that parry window right to get uh, a good um, stun. And so I can then have the command ready to do. And I've assessed what this enemy needs to do. And so I'm still doing a lot of that stuff. I'm just running around <laughs> in circles in real time while I wait for that other stuff to happen. But it looks, yeah. that stuff, that stuff looks good. Like the combat <laughs> is flashy. It is, it, it is, is flashy. flashy. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Oh, wait. We will never talk about it again. Oh, go Before ahead. Before we talk about it, wait, let me talk about it again really quick. No, this is a slight tangent. I did remember one game I want to shout out that does do the the sequel thing, which is the Banner Saga. The Banner oh. Saga 1, 2, and 3 does very much tell a single story that kind of continues from game to game to game. So there is like, there's probably some more hidden out there, but shout out to the Banner Saga if you've never played that. Awesome. And please just, e- email us or post it in the Discord if I there's other that I cannot think of. Oh, yeah. Well, but and along sure those are. lines... I'd love to know what folks think could games could benefit from this treatment. Like in Mm. 10 years, can we get an uncharted one that is now three games? You know, like what other games it is astonishing to me that they were able to pull off what they've pulled off at least with these. I mean, they could drop the ball with part three entirely. And I still think this would be a, one of the most massively successful remakes or reimaginings of a beloved game. It's not as if they took a stinker and they were like, we we can make this good. They took arguably yeah. one of the best, most beloved JRPGs of all time and have now turned that one into the three best. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like pretty wild. Yeah. It's to, astonishing to, to go. Here's a hundred hour game. We're going to turn it into three 80 hour games. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll all be great. Like they're going yeah. to be incredible. It's wild. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. There you go. Uh, I uh, I want to talk about another game, a uh, smaller game that I've been having a ton of fun with. It's called Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. You are 
probably familiar with Deep Rock Galactic. If you've played uh, multiplayer PC games in the last few years, it's pretty popular um, dwarven mining game where it's kind of a mashup between, you know, classic uh, Tolkien-esque dwarves and science fiction. Uh, it's a push your luck team based go farther and farther into the tunnels get as much loot as you can uh before the time runs out and you'll be overrun by baddies uh how much can you get with your friends everybody's a different class fun uh first person game i really had fun playing deep rock galactic um uh, several times this is in the same universe using the same ip but it is a vampire survivor like Deep Rock Galactic Survivor. As you know, Vampire Survivor was my favorite game the year it came out. It was my number one game of the year. Uh, I absolutely adore Vampire Survivor. And I've been trying a number of the Survivor likes. Uh, this very much is that. And what Deep Rock Galactic Survivor brings to the equation is not only just really excellent visuals, which it does. I mean, Vampire Survivor is you know, very famously, the, the aesthetic is, is sort of throwback, simplistic pixel art, deep rock galactic survivor, gorgeous game, still that top down isometric perspective, but just beautiful and cool looking, um, su supports super ultra wide bells and whistles looks choice. But more than that, it adds uh, a number of, I think really cool tweaks to the formula, including, there are really definite quests that you're on, things that you need to do or should do at any given time. Uh, you're, you, you've got a, a guy in your ear that's telling you, in the same way that Deep Rock Galactic had, you know, you're this team of, of, uh, of miners, in this case, a solo miner, um, but you have, you know, specific chores that you need to get done. And you have, the, you know, your little guide guy in your ears like, okay, I heard like the, the, the bugs are coming. Uh, there's a big swarm headed your way. All that stuff. It's kind of cool, um, more focused in a way. Uh, and uh, more than that, you're a miner. You're a dwarven miner. So there's actually stuff on the screen that you can mine. So like Vampire Survivor, you've got weapons that you level up and upgrade and acquire that auto shoot you can play this game one-handed just like you can with most survivor games because it's automatically procking the the bullets are shooting at any you know at, at periodic intervals you don't need to press down a, a trigger to shoot anything but you can also move your character around and run into a cave wall and your little minor dwarf will automatically start uh pickaxing the cave wall and you can break through uh, to certain areas, which is really cool because when the inevitable massive swarm of bad guys comes from all angles, you can kind of create these little choke points that they have to go through because their AI routine is to try to get to you. And uh, so they're going around the obstacles and then you can go through it and they're like, Oh, there's a new pathway. Let's go through there. And they'll create a choke point kind of fun. Uh, switching up of of that technique you're not just kiting all the time you're kind of going through and then also built into that is the fact that some of the areas that you can mine have resources that you want to mine gold even health will be embedded in the walls of the cave so you can start mining that to kind of uh, if you're low on health cool little uh little little tweaks there also 
it introduces the idea of reloading. So you can, you know, level up your, your, uh, frequency of shooting you can level up the the damage the crit chance you can level up all those things as you progress in a given run um but you can also level up your reload speed because your guns will shoot 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 and then need to reload and so there'll be this pause where you're not doing any damage and if you know in a, in a survivor game not doing any damage means you're probably going to be overwhelmed uh so uh having the reload speed be a factor and needing to read reduce that or one of the choices when you level up is oh maybe I want to work on the reload speed uh, kind of an interesting uh twerk there tweak there as well I don't see the dwarves don't twerk I does don't it have uh, anybody's <laughs> hopes up to see the dwarves twerking does it have an end is it mission based in that way that it's like beat these 10 levels and you well, beat the game are, or is yeah, it more there are uh steps to I haven't gotten there so i can't tell you if it ends or not but um i think in the same way the vampire survivor is like well you know you go for this long and you're done you like go down minute, yeah you, you another thing it does is you, like you you create make the big bad uh come or at least in the early levels you make the big bad come and then you have to escape the level and you have the pod just like in deep rock galactic the original deep rock galactic you have to get back out you've gone into the mine you've gotten what you wanted and you have to get out as the enemies are coming in the same way, it'll there'll be this uh, this mine that'll let you go deeper and deeper and deeper until you finally get out, uh, and you have to get back there in a certain amount of time. In fact, the first time I ever played uh, Deep Rock Galactic Survivor, I was like, "Oh, there's a bunch of XP dots. I'm gonna go collect those. I'm not getting into my pod yet." And then it was like, "Doot doot doot doot." Oh, you failed to get out in time, and I was like, "Well, mission failed. Game over." I was like, "Ah ah ah." So. It does it does do that to you. But um, there's multiple classes to unlock, just like there, you, you would expect in a, a Survivor game uh, that behave very differently. And there's some really cool ones that map, I think, almost one-to-one to Deep Rock Galactic. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of cousin game or, I guess, progenitor. Um, and they're cool. There's like an engineer type that like does turrets and stuff. Stuff that I haven't seen in a in a survivor game before. Um, and again, gorgeous looking, super fun, very addictive. The upgrades are really, uh, you know, very, very alluring and addictive. Um, I'm having a blast with deep rock galactic survivor. If you like survivor games, I think this is at the tippity top of games that aren't vampire survivor that are in this subgenre that are worth playing. Um, it's a little more expensive than the Survivor games tend to be. A lot of this, the subgenre is kind of defined by the fact that Vampire Survivor is so cheap. This one is a little more expensive, but I think well worth it uh, and super fun. Super, even if you've never played Deep Rock Galactic before. The, the name's a little on the nose, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It would be like calling it Deep Rock Galactic Souls-like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or souls, I guess. I mean, that sounds like a great idea. You're struggling to make a name for yourself in a crowded marketplace. Tell people what you are. Don't Tell hide the ball. You it's know? true. It's true. <laughs> Can't fault them. It's uh, it's very good. Very, very good. I liked it. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up. So stick around for those. But Tom Marks, it has been so awesome talking to you, as it always is. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff that you do online. 
Uh, I'm at Tom R. Marks basically anywhere that that matters, just the letter R, and then you can Google my name and IGN, and I have an author page there where you can find all my reviews and articles and that sort of thing. Yeah, great stuff. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? A new newsletter coming out on Friday. Uh, you can find it at christianspicer.substack.com. Uh, casual, conversational-style pieces about video games. Um, I always try to reply to everybody who replies to me. Um, got I think all of those out, finished those up late last week. So if you didn't get a reply, um, I'm sorry. I think I got everybody. A uh, new one coming out on Friday. And then folks can follow this here very show on threads and Instagram at DLC Hype Train. And we also put up um, video segments of the show on our YouTube, which is at DLC Pod. Those go up on Tuesday and Thursday mornings um, here in the US. And then also, if you really want to like hang out, uh, let's play Helldivers. <laughs> I didn't talk about it again this week, but oh man, I will follow David Chen to the end of the earth in real life now because i followed him to the end of the earth in hell divers and that dude can run a crew jeff no offense but that <laughs> no, dude I'm can taken. run a crew yeah no, it i love that game it's still I, so as, good as someone who's been on a crew he's run in irl for <laughs> yeah. many many years i uh, i can attest to the yeah i need that the only way i can get on it is hell divers i'm like dave hang out and he's like i don't want to hang out with you and i'm like you want to play hell divers he's like oh man i'm like woohoo we're friends let's go <laughs> no i'm just kidding he he runs a mean hell diver ship dude it's awesome yeah uh, and we have, did you, I don't, you maybe already mentioned, uh, we, uh, we have, oh, yeah, another, we did a let's play. We did another let's play. play. Yeah. 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 yeah we did, we're doing it. We're, we're playing. We're doing it. Uh, you can follow me on socials at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T I have other shows, the film cast talking about movies and TV shows. Uh, we have concerns, a comedy science show where you learn something to laugh along the way. And the fan controlled show, which is, uh, uh, about sports fan controlled sports entertainment uh, you can find those wherever you get podcasts uh as well as the book club we're doing the book club on my youtube page youtube.com slash kanata jeff let's uh wrap the show up now with our parting gifts hey give us a suggestion tom do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week uh, kind of. I have a weird <laughs> one. I've gotten off the, the, the beaten trail with this one because the only thing I've been watching lately more is more Dropout, which I recommended last year or last time I was on the show. Um, but so I have a weird one, which is as a new dad, uh, to any folk out there who are having kids or it's coming up or any of that, find your local buy nothing group. I don't know if either of you know what this is, but no. this is a thing that's like recycle. Kind of, it's like, there's like a, you can like check your Facebook page for buy nothing and you, they do it by groups local to you. And I will admit I'm very privileged where I live and kind of the community around here, but basically it's a place where you can just like post like, Hey, I'm looking for X thing or Hey, I have X thing I don't need. And then you can just go get it from your neighbors. It's kind of more organized, leaving things out on the street with a free sign. Um, but I'm shouting it out specifically as a new parent because we have not bought baby clothes. Wow, like that's they've awesome. only been gifted to us or through buy nothing. And the coolest part about it is that you keep them in good condition. And then when they grow out of them, you just say, Hey, we're done with these. Who else in the neighborhood has a new kid that can now wear them. And so you're not, the idea is, you know, 
you're buying less stuff, you're putting less waste in the world. And it's yeah. just been like, it, your mileage will vary. I hear not all the groups and, you know, they have community moderators. So the, the quality of them, I'm sure will vary. The quality of what people are giving away will vary. But if you are lucky enough to have something like that as a new parent, man, is it useful. So not like a TV show, but like, I yeah, it. It, it's a very useful thing. That's great. I mean, you're so right. The churn with a, a new parent, because you're just constantly, they're growing, you're new things. And I imagine even like, you know, car seats and stuff like that would be just so, so great. Yeah. The, 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 the speed at which my kid grew out of all of the newborn three month stuff. Right. And then immediately yeah. was onto the six, eight, 10 month or whatever. Yeah. That's great. Buy nothing. This is the first yeah. time hearing of it, but I'm going to Google it. Christian Spicer, what is your parting gift? Well, I feel like a jerk because mine was go buy something. Um, <laughs> Chris's, Christian's which, is Target. <laughs> well, so it's a, go buy awesome something. Is just, it's just a website. You go to go buy something and you just enter your credit card information and it charges you a yeah, random and amount and then you get something. Something arrives. You know, something, sometimes you it's j- good. You joke, but loot boxes are so popular. <laughs> that's so true. That's true. It's yeah, so true. My – Actual parting gift is a movie that I just watched. It has been out for a while, and I think you all talked about on the film cast. I think I listened to the spoiler-free part of it and was like, I'll save the rest for later. The Creator. Holy moly. What a stunning film. Just beautiful. Just the the world building that takes place in it, the way it feels real and lived in. Uh, it's a sci-fi film about AI and kind of what that means for society. And I'll leave it at that for folks who haven't seen it. But I think visually and the world building that takes place within it and just kind of the beauty on screen, it's up there with Blade Runner um, to me in terms of what it achieves as a piece of cinema or another side of the the coin of Mad, Mad Max Fury Road. Like just what you see on screen represents what this society is or can be and how things are real and lived in. And I was blown away by it. And I got it from my local library on, uh, on 4k, which was a heck of a way to watch it without buying something. Uh, so the creator, I loved it. I, I don't understand. It's kind of middling critical reviews. I, whatever. I don't know. It, I loved it. I thought it was great. Well, I'm one of those middling people, but that's okay. I, yeah, I, I do I, agree I with the visuals. The visuals are awesome. <laughs> I mean, it, it literally is a visual effects guy. Who's like, Stunning. I'll direct my own movie. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the creator. I think it's also on Netflix, I want to say. Creator at Christian's Library. At Christian's Library. If you want to come see the corkboard, go to the library first. Come to my house, get some coffee. I'll show you the corkboard. (laughs) I have an awesome movie on Netflix to recommend as well. This is ostensibly a kid's movie. I watched it with my kids, but I would suggest that it would be just fine adult viewing as well. It is an animated movie in the style of Pixar. This is a I believe DreamWorks. It's called Orion and the Dark. And uh, this is, the idea is, in much like Pixar movies uh, that you are aware of, uh, an anthropomorphized idea, you know, in, in the way that Pixar movies are always like, it's your emotions, but they're people. It's your, it's the, your dreams, but they're people. Um, Orion and the Dark is the dark is anthropomorphized. The dark is a person and also sleepy time and, and noises and things that are, they all have uh, uh, personas, but 
where that is kind of the uh, Pixar template kind of run into the ground, some might say. Orion in the Dark was written by Charlie Kaufman. And if, if you're familiar with the work of Charlie Kaufman, like adaptation and um, being John Malkovich, Charlie Kaufman doesn't do anything by the rules. <laughs> Charlie Kaufman breaks the rules. And so in a large sense, Orion in the Dark is a deconstruction of that Pixar anthropomorphized idea. It is at the same time doing that stuff, but also kind of deconstructing it and analyzing it and looking at it and and breaking the rules of it. And I was weeping at the end. It's beautiful. It's kind of about storytelling. And it, it just... It, it puts those kind of movies even uh, under the micros- under the microscope. I loved it. My kids loved it. I loved it for a completely different reason than they loved it because they loved it as just a really fun adventure tale. But it is doing so many smart things to the genre, with the genre, inside the genre. Orion in the Dark. Brilliant. And it's available on Netflix. All right. We've also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us by Guy, who writes, uh, I have a game suggestion as a parting gift this week. Rough Ganor, spelled uh, G-H-A-N-O-R. Rough Ganor is a new release from a Brazilian indie team, and I think it falls right into your wheelhouse. It's a roguelike deck builder. Ting. Yes, indeed. My wheelhouse. And an interesting lore based uh, with an interesting lore based on a book of the same name. What I find most intriguing about the gameplay loop is that the enemies indicate their action next turn so you can take actions against them. However, often that's not enough and you'll get your butt kicked. If you have some extra available time, check it out. Thank you, Guy. I did look at Ruff Ganor, R-U-F-F Ganor. Uh, this looks like a game I'm going to be purchasing uh, right away. It uh, very much in my wheelhouse, really cool art style, uh, sounds awesome, and it sounds like it's very difficult, which which is fun as a roguelike um, deck builder. So thank you for the suggestion, Rough Ganor. Check it out on Steam. If you have a parting gift that you'd like read on the show, send it to us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Tom Marks and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. You can always get swag for the show at store.dlcpod.com. Hats, T-shirts, mugs, cool stuff. Store.dlcpod.com. Our biggest thanks, ladies and gentlemen, go to our patrons who make the show possible. Thank you, patrons, for supporting us. Our top-tier patrons, our hype train patrons, they become video games. Uh, I love looking back on old games. Do you remember the the John Cisco game? Do you remember that one? It was all summer for me. We would get together, my friends Cisco and I. Cisco summer, they called it. Cisco summer. We called it the summer of Cisco. That's so funny that you called it the Cisco summer. Same thing, right? Like that game came out right when school was ending for us. And we all got around and it was, you know, one life, one level, pass the controller back and forth, nonstop, getting blisters on our thumbs. We were like, let's go Cisco. 
get it done. <laughs> Cisco <was> Blistos. <laughs> we called them. <laughs> they, 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 they were Cisco Blistos. <laughs> it was uh it was an intense game it was a shmup right the the, the john cisco game was a shmup yeah. which Bullet is hell. why it was you get so many blistos on your on your fingers you know and i i heard that it was so popular they had a hard time with the distro like just getting enough of them <laughs> not in frisco <laughs> oh uh, really where i grew up you know i grew up in the bay area so in frisco the cisco game was uh, easy distro. i heard it was really tough in san luis obispo though <laughs> It was a great game, though, man. I I uh, I remember you uh, you you had a, <laughs> that was that level at the disco. Remember that one? <laughs> the the beat comes in and you the the mirror ball comes down. Ah, I mean, it really was kind of revolutionary in its way that it was a bullet hell shmup, but also not quite a rhythm game. But I found that on that level, when you were at Cisco at the disco yeah. and you were able to kind of shoot to the beat, it kind of helped me hit a flow state, which I thought was really rewarding because other times it's like our type or whatever. You're just trying to memorize the patterns, but sure. Cisco at the disco, getting those blistos, even though it was hard because of a rough distro, yeah. it was a heck of a summer. It was great game. Good, good game. Uh, you remember also speaking of high intensity games, Hyper Boy. Oh, dude, there's a whole series of Hyperboy games. <laughs> so many of them, in fact. Do you have any idea how many Hyperboy games there are, Christian? I mean, my favorite is Hyperboy 1027. I loved that. But that one wouldn't have existed without 66. Like, That's true. What 1027 did was kind of like Final Fantasy VII Remake and Rebirth, reimagining Hyperboy yeah. 66. Yeah. Man. So basically my favorite game of all time wouldn't have existed without Hyperboy 66 coming first and kind of paving the way for what well, it, not coming first, coming, <laughs> you know, 66. That's true. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> One through 65 were fine, but I feel like 66 yeah. is when it really it caught a, on. It was an era when every, every game company wanted their own mascot, you know, and Hyperboy was just a great mascot. Uh, you know, some people got him confused with Astro Boy, but it, distinct, interesting, cool looking. The shoes. Do you remember the Hyperboy shoes? And I loved the idle an- animation too, because we had like Sonic's idle animation was like very sarcastic or like, come on already, let's yeah. go. And then Hyperboy, the idle animation was just like, nah, I'm yeah. cool. I'll take a breath. And I was like, yeah, which is very weird for somebody called Hyperboy. <laughs> yeah. I remember the beginning you know. of that game, the cutscene. Uh, where you're just in school and you've got restless leg syndrome <laughs> and the teacher's like, hyper boy, take your Ridlin. And then he's like, ah, and he blasts out and he jumps in and then he's running along the, you know, the 2d parallax side scrolling adventure takes place. So cool. Yeah, definitely a vestige of its time. Cause certainly, um, our understanding of children's needs has changed and evolved sure. in a big way since Hyperboy yeah. 66 came it's out. Like it's definitely... I, I wouldn't even make that reference today if I if it didn't already exist then. Right, right. It is a relic of its time, but the pure gameplay mechanics. Yeah. Like uh, my friends and I used to say, "Oh boy, let's hyper boy. This is not a toy." Uh, <laughs> San Luis Obispo is what I'm saying. Real, like, uh, <laughs> real consistent friends with the whole. My, like, my friends, if they loved two things, it was Hyperboy '66 and coming up with words that rhymed with "boy." Like that is what. 
That uh-huh. is what we did. You know, some yeah. kids get into shoplifting. Some kids right. get into graffiti. Some kids get into sports. My friends got into Hyperboy 66 and coming up with and, at least two other words that rhyme with boy. And, and Cisco, evidently. They were. <laughs> well, it was, it was a summer was of Cisco. Kind of That's thing. different. Yeah. It's kind of the thing. Like... <laughs> it's hard to resist, though. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Hey, if you'd like to have your name rhymed, and turned into a video game, uh, become a hype train patron like uh, John Cisco and Hyperboy66. We are so grateful for their continued and very generous support. You can do it at patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.